To Seishura, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Jim Jam. As always, I'm Scoot Magoo. And uh, we've got a, an action packed episode. Uh, we've got an ensemble cast. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get, you know, the cast of The Expendables, but we do have six albums that we're talking about instead. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, frankly, w- wouldn't you rather talk to Jason Statham? I don't know. <laughs> I love, he, he is one of my favorite. Um, one of my favorite British accents. So I, I would definitely <laughs> want to talk to him. For some reason, the first thing that comes to my mind is is not Jason Statham, but um, the Juggernaut in the X-Men movies. I'm the Juggernaut, you, bitch. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. Okay. Um, we, yeah, so we, we're talking about six albums today. Uh, our, le- our usual podcast length is around an hour. So we're going really quick. We're actually timing each one of these. And we're starting off with uh, John Coltrane's Ascension. So starting it now, and timer's going. So uh, Ascension is one of, I, I actually one of the first free jazz albums I ever listened to. Um, immediately hated it actually when I first listened to it. I, I got through about a minute of it and decided that I needed to turn it off. And um, you know, I, I don't regret that decision, but. Uh, because I think it's it's not it's not an easily digestible album at first. Like if if this is your first taste of free jazz, um, best of luck to you, friend. Uh, not not to say it isn't good. It's just like I don't know. It would be like somebody asking you to listen to you know like, like that. They're like, oh, I want to listen to like more modern classical music, and then you give them like i don't know like like penderecki's like you know threnody you know it's it's just so like out there uh for what it is yeah um, or, or like something the way i've always framed it is someone's like you know what i kind of want to start you know start drinking it's like all right well here's some absinthe have fun yeah you know, it's just it's like like let's jump right <laughs> off the deep end it's like now nah, you probably should you know ease into it a little bit because you know, there are aspects of like even bop or jazz that you know you know, jazz that you you think of normally that can be off-putting to people, or that can be difficult oh, yeah. people to get into. So, I, I, in all fairness, I feel like this album has been eclipsed a few times over in terms of like weirdness, in terms of like sort of out there and like extremity. Yeah, um, for sure. But you know, for its time, it really added to that sort of slowly burgeoning free jazz canon that was going on, uh, and you know. I don't know about you, but I always think about this album in comparison to Ornette Coleman's Free Jazz mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons, mostly because it's both of them are big band kind of, or at least um, large ensemble group. Yeah. Free Jazz. Um, and what's interesting about it, uh, what I've always found interesting, and I'm, I'm going to actually look this up just to make sure I, I got this right, but uh, Freddie Hubbard is the only musician who's actually been on both of those albums. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, and just, I, I was actually looking into the making it, like the making of it and sort of the structure behind it, uh, and th- there, there's some really interesting info. Um, also, have, have you ever read the liner notes in like a jazz album before? Uh, not, I mean, not recently. Yeah, because I, I mean, so I have this on CD. I have, you know, pretty much everything that Coltrane put out on Impulse on CD. 
and with a lot of those reissues they've included liner notes and on this one it is it is a novel and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense like you i i almost feel like there are like parts missing from it but there aren't uh it, it, like it just it, it it was a bizarre read um but it did provide sort of some information in terms of like structure uh which is something i never really thought about with this album until uh you know only fairly recently um because i mean if it, it it it's not like this is uh I, I think the difference between this and free jazz is that i you know free jazz was a you know it was billed as a collective improvisation whereas this was like more like a structured like improvisational environment almost mm. uh, like if you notice that so the, there's basically like an ensemble kind of freak out and that's punctuated by solos all the way through uh, as well as sort of these uh you know uh, crescendos and decrescendos uh all the way throughout it um and there's also apparently um so there is that riff in it that you can hear at the beginning mm -hmm. that is kind of like almost like what it's almost like they're riffing on it in a way and using that as like a launch pad of sorts but there's also like a chord structure apparently to it like or at least there's like at least one chord that coltrane said to kind of keep in mind but he, apparently it was optional to use it hmm. uh which is just kind of interesting because um you know i think when when we think of free jazz nowadays we think of like you, you know i i remember i think it was albert ayler's comment that uh it was coltrane's coltrane's the father pharaoh's the son and i'm the holy spirit yeah in a way yeah and uh i mean obviously ornette as well but i think that like coltrane's use of like improvisatory elements is 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 much different than any other of those musicians because mm -hmm. like he always you know no matter what he did it seemed like there's always like a tonal center to it like he he was always thinking about theory i mean i, I they all were but you know um uh but ornette was thinking about harmelodics however you call that but um I, I just think it's interesting sort of how he came to this and sort of, you know, thinking about that in relation to just listening to this because this thing is just such a... Uh, it's an experience. Um, I Scott, do, do you have... Um, do you have the reissue by any chance that... So it has uh, both editions on it? I think so. I, th I think there was... Um, uh... There was one trip to Bull Moose where it was that and Interstellar Space I got at the same time, which that was a that was a good. I, I on CD. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, it probably yeah. has both of those. Yeah. Because I, this is weird. I don't know if, if you've checked if you if you read the back of the CD, it says that like, um, the edition two was like the preferred artist take, but edition one was actually the first one that showed up on the original like edition like original issue of ascension okay um, which i i mean may, maybe it's just i i haven't paid attention to the two but i don't really see a whole lot of difference between the two except i think that mccoy tyner uh no no I, elvin jones 
doesn't solo in the second edition. That's the only thing I can think of this that's actually different. Yeah, it's always tough with with free jazz. Is it's kind of just an overwhelming wash, you know, wash of instrument, you know, instrumentation that mm. um, sometimes it's hard to. But I feel like that's kind of the case with a lot of jazz when you have alternate takes. You know, just I mean, maybe it's just I don't have that yeah. that perceptive of an ear, but a lot of times it just it's not. Um, yeah, I I usually don't hear a lot of difference in a lot of alternate takes either. Um, but I think in regards to this, it's just kind of an odd choice because you've effectively doubled the track length, and it's not like it's this, um, you know, short song to begin with. It's like you know they they they're both around like thirty five minutes each. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just I don't know, it's it's a lot to listen to, but the thing is like. I mean, we're still talking about this today, uh, you know, in, in a big way. We're talk, still talking about it. Uh, and I just find that interesting that, you know, something like this that, you know, I, I think is, I, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, you know, I, I guess if I'm going to say anything, I'm glad I came around to this album because I, I, I think this is like one of those Coltrane works that I, I think gets slightly overshadowed by some of his like more well-known albums. Not, not to say that this isn't well-known, but like, you know, a love Supreme giant steps, you know, like uh, my favorite things always kind of feel like they're a little higher in like priority. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like, I, I feel like this is, you know, maybe not a great place to start, with him but it's it's like an it's it's essential i mean and i think you know as time goes on from this period you know uh more and more of the material in his discography becomes posthumous mm-hmm. so you know it uh whether it's essential or not i think gets a little more debatable as time goes on but i think that this was like super cool just for what it was. Yeah, and it's crazy that one of the other albums we were, you know, thrown around talking about for the segment was uh, Maiden Voyage by Herbie Hancock, and mm. uh, that came out the same year. And I would, I, I gotta say, those two albums don't don't really sound <laughs> that similar. Yeah, they really. So it's it's crazy how forward thinking Coltrane was. And uh, interesting enough, I heard Ascension. Uh, I think you showed it to me. We were driving back from Nick's lake house. I think that was the first time I heard it. We had it on in the car while we were driving. And I don't remember that. I, I I remember we had a uh, Dizzy Rascal's Boy in the Corner on. <laughs> Maybe we had both. I mean, I, just, I that's how I remember. We, we, way, we had that, and we had uh, Electric Masada, on yeah, as well. I thought uh, I, I thought it was a set. Either way, I, I thought the first time I heard it was either because of you or you recommended it or whatever. And I guess it was just the perfect time for me because I was fully open to you know just getting weirder, just pushing. Uh, into more you know avant-garde territory and ha- having not heard really any any free jazz uh i think just you exposing me to Vasada, you know which isn't necessarily you know, obviously it's it's not it's more than just yeah. free jazz obviously but you know just that kind of total unbridled instrumentation and just you know jazz taking it to its logical extent it, it, it was really cool you know it was really uh it might seem like a weird choice to use but like i just to me the fact that 
something could sound so chaotic and disorganized yet make so much sense and just just be so enthralling um it's it's really a very unique genre in that regard especially this followed me getting really into jazz jazz you know name a classic artist you know i got i was listening to wayne shorter at the time i was listening to you know a lot of uh you know miles davis you know the more traditional coltrane um that you'd expect from his earlier earlier years um so then suddenly being thrown into what he did on ascension uh it's it's kind of crazy and Mm. um i I think it makes sense to and we always talk about what's the best entry point um i think it makes sense not not this yeah (laughs) i mean i guess if you're into really dense like if your favorite metal band is gorguts maybe you'll appreciate what's going on in ascension you'd be able to get into it a little bit more quickly um but i think working up to it and um like even my favorite things, you know, it's it's a rendition on a um, on a fucking song from Sound and Music. You know, there's some some segments of that which are a little bit, a little bit shrill, a little bit more. Um, I mean, spiritual. We're, we're, we're kind of skipping around. You know, we're circling around the big one is just Love Supreme. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, you, you think of of something like that. You know, where even some se- segments of my favorite things. You know, I think my people like my parents or whatever like oh this is a little this is a little much this is a little bit too too in your face so mm. for something like that you know to jump yeah. to ascension it's quite a jump but I, it's definitely worth the it's it's worth the trip it's it's worth worth diving into um it's yeah. it's, it's it's a great great album and, and fucking 55 years old that's i mean i guess it's not that weird when you think about it but you know when these albums like Soon in our adult life, these albums are going to be closer to, um, yeah, like like 70, 75. 75 like yeah. you know, I mean, you know, knock on wood, you know, at some point they'll be celebrating their hundredth anniversary, uh, <laughs> depending how long we kick around. But yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we actually went over our time by a, a little bit. So uh, unless you have anything else to say, we're going to move on. Uh, we will move on. And uh, okay. speaking of. Coltrane. Um, uh, I mean, it was kind of a kind of a softball segue. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, the, the the softest of balls. The softest of balls. <laughs> Speaking of softballs, uh, let's take a journey in. Um, such Donada. Danda. Yeah. Hey, you, you pronounced it better than I don't. I, I don't think I've ever pronounced that this word right. But yeah, uh, journey in Sachidananda. Yeah. They, Thank you. I yeah. got it now. And if you didn't pick up from that beautiful, seamless segue, we were talking about John Coltrane's better half, Alice Coltrane, <laughs> and her uh, Pharaoh Sanders featuring album, Journey in Such a Tindanda. And I think that's the last time <laughs> I'm going to try to say it. We, 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 we got two. That, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, Journey in... <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- this is... I- I've, like... I, I'm still fascinated by this album. Yeah. Because I, I just like it's I, I love how um just sort of the instrumentation is used. I mean, you know, Alice Coltrane playing harp in a jazz setting mm-hmm. is just like such a cool idea. Uh and you know, just a little segue. You don't like I feel like it's really difficult to play harp in a way that actually sounds like singular. And like, like it isn't just like, you know, the end of a Three Stooges short where they're all in heaven. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, like I she she really brings a voice 
to what she like the instrument that she's playing. Yeah. Here, even if it doesn't feature on every track. Um, you you, you want to know? <laughs> I don't know why this popped into my head, but there were decent stretches of this, which if it felt like. Um, <laughs> If if Charles Schultz had rebooted the the Peanuts as like a that seventies show kind of thing, and it was like <laughs> it was it was made for like adults, and it was a bunch of stoners, and like that was you know that was the kind of jazz that y- that soundtrack. You mean that sixties show? <laughs> or like that's yeah, what, whatever. I mean, whatever time. I don't know, whatever decade. No, no, it, it came out nineteen seventy one, but like I, I I get what you mean though. It's just like like if if that seventies show was just Hyde, or no, no, if if it was just Leo, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you're you're totally right. And what I loved so much about this is, um, I, I feel like Pharaoh's pl- playing is is perfect. It's not too crazy. It's not yeah. too unhinged. But also, it's it doesn't. Um, it's it's not just like traditional jazz either. It definitely he hits that sweet spot. And I just love how on any moment, you know, it can be so chill and and so you can just zone out into it and, and just let it play in the background and the other moments you can really dive into the textures and dive into what's going on like I, it's such a rich um oh yeah or such it, a rich unique album and at like at no point is it like you know um dissonant to the point of of i think somebody who was perhaps less inclined to listen to something so avant-garde you know to turn it off like it, it's it's really palatable if you will yeah, ooh, that's that's a two dollar word. Um, yeah, I love it. Yep, absolutely. I, I I don't know. I'd like to think this is pretty pretty accessible, but I mean, you know, obviously it's you never know. Yeah, I, I mean, it, he, the thing is, like, I, I'm I mean, I'm pretty sure there are um, like you know sitar drones at the beginning of this. Um, I don't really know exactly what that is, honestly. I. I I th- oh no you know what it's an ood that's what I'm thinking of it, no it could be I don't know um, they, there's definitely like these little droning you know sympathetic strings mm-hmm. underneath everything uh, in the title track but uh, and I think I, I think some people might get turned off by that but I think that's more of I think you know kind of people being unfamiliar with something outside of like western music in a way yeah um but i mean you know that being said it's just like i i think it's a really neat uh you know sort of take on jazz that was you know sort of the jazz that was going on at the time Mm -hmm. and i think more than that you know it feels very singularly alice coltrane like it doesn't like i think there are a lot of these different you know, I, I think albums that were coming around that, like around this time. You know, I think uh, Pharaoh Sanders was putting out a bunch of, of different things uh, mm. that were, you know, in this sort of vein of like spiritual jazz. You know, and sort of including all this different um, instrumentation that previously wasn't as as much explored as it was at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I think it's it can be kind of easy to kind of lump it all together, but mm-hmm. I think that like. This album and the uh, one preceding it, uh, Ta the El Daoud, are both really, really interesting takes on it, and it just feels just so itself. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's trying to pander to something else or trying to experiment for no reason. Almost like it just, it feels right. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's no, you can't get around the fact that. Um... She definitely benefited from sharing a name with a 
pretty prominent jazz musician at the yeah. time. But she totally innovated in her own right. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. she, she she deserves all the credit, all the acclaim. Um, I, I think that whenever um, your legacy is inextricably linked to someone else who's really well known in, in your field, and, and obviously, as history's gone down, John Coltrane has definitely, you know, probably has the more accelerated legacy. But I, I feel like what Alice was able to carve out is, like you said, it's so unique. There are moments where it doesn't even really feel like jazz and other moments where it totally, you know, fits into that, you know, totally hits, like you said, jazz was, that was happening at the time. And I know that's always something we talk about is what, what is jazz, you know, thinking man. About. I mean, I, you know, if you want me to wax philosophical very briefly, I think jazz is unity, honestly, because like, you know, it's, it, it's not like, it was a direct runoff of you know African American music at the time, you know, like it like it was a combination of all these different musical cultures, just slamming together, mm-hmm. you know, and becoming something new, um, which I, I really doesn't say anything in terms of like, you know, an actual definition of jazz or like you know what it would sound like, but I that's just something I always think of when you know i i don't know i i just i actually i got the idea from uh there's this book it's called the jazz book by uh i think his name is joaquin barrent um and that's something that he even mentions in it is that just like jazz if anything is defined by its unity and like sort of by its ability to sort of um you know take up other forms into itself mm-hmm. but you know again not really getting anywhere that that's more uh, abstract than it is more concrete in terms of like uh, a discussion. But but I, um, I think it's relevant because, like I said, there are moments of this where you listen to it and you're like, is this a jazz album? But I, I think through and through, I mean, this totally is a jazz album, and it's one that yeah. pushes the boundaries of the genre in a really fascinating way. I, I can't think of really any other artists easily out of the top of my head, at least that I, I listen to a lot, that incorporate harp in jazz at all, let alone mm. this effectively. I mean, it just it, it's it's something that as you listen to this album, you forget that it, this isn't this is not normal. You know, you don't you, you don't usually yeah. hear harp but, in. But 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 the thing is, it, it doesn't come off like when you actually listen to it. It's it's not like it's 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 not like you're listening to the residents and it's like kind of slapping you in the face with its irregularity. Yeah, like it just it it, it has a smoothness to it. Uh, or I, I guess, yeah, just kind of a digestibility to it. Because I think smoothness would imply, like, Kenny G is somehow involved. <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I offhandedly, um, I actually want to try to listen to some Kenny G albums at some point. Uh, maybe just out of morbid curiosity. But My mom used to play, like, around Christmas time... She would play, he had a you know Christmas album which I, you know, obviously makes sense. I, I, um, I feel like every artist nowadays has a Christmas album. Yeah. Uh, so like I haven't. I mean, it, he just has become a meme. Like I haven't actually yeah. listened to him fairly. Um, I mean, not not that I like. It would be interesting to do for a podcast episode. I, I don't know if I would yeah. do it just like hey I'm I'm curious, but like I, I would I, love to. I, I, I'm with you, but like the other day, I mean, I just I randomly put on a Hollow Notes album for the fuck of it. So, yeah, I mean, I all gates are open, man. <laughs> I actually, I guess I can't talk because I've I've tried on multiple occasions to understand Insane Clown Posse, and I really, 
I really can't. It's, I mean, it's not only just that, you know, they're bad because, I mean, they are. It's, it's bad music. Um, but it's just the meaning that Juggalos put behind it. I'm just like, what are you listening to? Like, I don't like the whole, like, Joker's card and, like, the, you know, about the apocalypse and religious themes. I just, Dude, I just it, don't. It, it's, it's their version of, like, Camus and, like, the existentialists. <laughs> Ooh, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, well, seriously, the, 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 there is, like, nothing. I don't want to talk too long, but, like, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's, it's just, I, like, literally. Our, our timer is up anyway. But, like, so. it's one of those things, it's just, it's literally, like, objectively not there. Like, what they say is being said. I'm like, this just, this just not, like, I can't even extrapolate. Like, it's just not being said. Like when you they, know, they, Scott, they, just because you don't know how magnets work doesn't mean you need to get mad at people who do. Oh, they, so. they deserve a pass just for making that a meme. Because that's, <laughs> that's such an amazing... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so some somehow we, we we started talking about Alice Culture and end up talking about Insane Clown Posse. So, um, speaking, I, I think I think that's that that's just we need to move on. Speaking of uh, clowns, clowns <laughs> scare people. What else scares people? Ghosts. Oh fuck you, Scott. <laughs> take 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 it away. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we're talking <laughs> about my life in the bush of ghosts. Uh, <laughs> which is a collaborative album by Brian Eno and David Byrne of the Talking Heads. It was actually recorded before Remain in Light, but it came out after it, I guess, due oh, okay. to, like, you know, samples uh, needing, like, you know, clearance, basically. Uh, but it's funny, when we... Um, let me just restart the timer. Um, when we were gathering you know talking about which albums we wanted to talk about this week this was the one i wanted to talk about because frankly we don't talk about you know just i mean even this album in particular but just i, I feel like we don't talk about you know a whole lot we don't really talk about david byrne and talking heads a whole lot and uh this is an album that i really really admire like i just find it to be like such a strange forward-thinking album that like just kind of like it, it, it promises what it deli- like, or it delivers what it promises. You know, because mm-hmm. um, I, I think like when you read on paper, like oh, this is like another like this is like a sampled album that's just like almost completely made of like found sounds. Like I think one might be like oh, uh, huh. but like, damn, it doesn't not work, and like. It goes together so well. Yeah, this may not be the adjective. I mean, certainly not the adjective I expected to use, but this album is just so fucking cool. Like, it's just, yeah. it's just such such a cool collection of sounds. I mean, it's funky. But, it's... but like, the, the thing is, it's not even just a collection of sounds. It's it's like these are legitimate songs. Yeah, like absolutely. That's the cool thing about it. Like, there's there's moments, that, you know, funky, ambient, obviously world inspired, but. It's just so complex, but well written and orchestrated. But at the same time, it's just really direct and catchy. Like it, it's you can, it's impressive how well put together it is. But yeah, it's just so it's just fun to like, listen to. Like you don't even have I, to think about the concept, how it was made, you know how you know, how it all came together. Just like man, these are some great ass grooves. And it's yeah, it's crazy how it really does feel like a perfect marriage of like pre ambient Eno and talking heads but it's also its I, th- own thing this was like post ambient Eno, though that's that's the weird thing yeah it's it's it reminds me a lot of like like you know what's that album? green world 
Um, oh, okay, yeah, another like, Green Yeah, It reminds okay. me of like that era of his career, like perfectly mixed with Talking Heads, and then of course you know you you added a bunch of other you know crazy stuff that they were trying, but it, it's it's its own thing entirely. It's so, and I actually really like that. Um, it, it's it's primarily entirely. I think there might have been some vocal snippets here and there. I mean, I, I don't really gravitate towards those if there were. There are a lot yeah. of little different like vocal snippets, but yeah, it, um, I get what you're saying. Like, it's primarily instrumental, almost. And I, I always check myself, because I feel like, um, you know, especially with, with Byrne, his vocals are so, you know, prominent and, and, you know, impossible to miss on Talking Heads records. It's crazy that they just kind of let the music speak for itself, but I'm I'm glad they did. I'm really glad that you just get to get lost in these instrumental worlds that they they kind of spin out. Um, mm. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I always I always forget about this record. Uh, it, it's me in, too. In, in my collection, every time uh, you you recommended to me originally, every time I revisit it, I'm like, man, this is such a great fucking record. Yeah, I I mean, it, like it, this is like one of those ones that like every time I listen to it, like it grows on me a little little more. Yeah, every time. Uh, like I remember, like I think the first time I ever listened to it, I was just like, okay, this is this is like really fun, but like more and more, I'm like, just it, it's just so wet, like just intricately crafted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually what I really want to talk about here is just it amazes me how they put this thing together because I mean we're talking about 1981, we're talking about like you know synthesizers are like finally starting to be like an item that you can actually get on the market w- without having to like, you know, just, you know, hollow out an entire room for a fucking synth, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we're talking about like just music technology is finally becoming like more accessible and just, but, but still not quite there, you know? And it's just like, how do you get that? How do you, how did they do what they did on this? Like, I, it, it just blows my fucking mind. <laughs> Yeah, because like, like, like you know, nowadays th- this would be like a hatcher. Like you, you could make an album like this theoretically in like a week, you know, because all you need is just a DAW and you just need the internet and just download all the sounds you want and just trim accordingly, mm-hmm. you know. But like, right now, like you're, you know, you're dealing with like maybe the advent of like you know CDs. I mean, I, I like, I think. They're, I think I even think they were still a few years away even from that at this time, uh, you know. So like, I'm assuming you, you're still dealing with tape, or, or at least like something. Like, see, I, I don't really know exactly what the technology was like at mm-hmm. the time, and it, it's just like mind bending for me to think about like like sort of how this thing was just put together. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that's. Uh... <sighs> That's something about early hip hop. Sometimes when beats are, are pretty well, mm. uh, you know, well layered or, or complex, or some of the samples they're able to get, you know, get together, um, and then you think about the way that they would just have to listen through. I mean, today sampling song is just is so much easier than you know having to like, oh, yeah. like dig through. I mean, literally dig through crates and, and whatnot. Um, Though I, I, as we'll talk about later, it's not exactly a dead you know, form of sampling. Yeah. To, 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 to create dig. For sure. For sure. Um, and certainly, I mean, it's in some ways a lost art form in the sense that, you know, you used to have basically have beats almost ex- exclusively or like prominently put together by samples. And nowadays, I mean, you just kind of, 
uh, not to disparage the genre, but like with trap, you just kind of bang a few keyboards. Uh, I, I, I feel like it, it's become the emphasis. I mean, it, it, it kind of depends. I mean, like yeah. I've, I, I found that like there is always a subculture around whatever you think isn't popular. Like that's a, always. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Just let, like, you know, let, like, remember when DJing used to be, like, the coolest fucking thing? Yeah. Like, people still do that. Like, you know, it, it's just, it's just, people aren't, you know, it, it's, it's just not necessarily, like, breaking any headlines. Um, but just, I don't know, I, I kind of just want to move back to this, this album just yeah. for a little bit more because I, I, I just find this, like, I just find it to be really interesting. Like, every time I listen to it, it's just such, an interesting um just experience uh and just kind of humor in it because i think like if you listen to the track help me somebody like it samples a a reverend uh in like a sermon and just it sounds so silly to me whenever mm. i hear it like it just it, it for some reason actually it actually sounds like um like uh ryu uh doing a hadoken <laughs> just hadoken <laughs> um it's just like, or even like America's Waiting is just like, I don't know, like, like actually America's Waiting kind of reminds me of, um, this is a really weird comparison. I don't really have any logic behind this, but um, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised by Gil Scott Heron. Mm. <laughs> like, just in terms of like, it, like, it, like sort of that spoken word type of thing and like how it's just kind of integrated into it, I guess is kind of the best way I can describe that. Um, also... Just little thing that I learned is that uh, apparently they did not read the book that this thing is named after, um, but they nonetheless named it "My Life in the Bush of Ghosts." That's, I mean, it's a cool name, but it's yeah. Well, I I guess that they they felt like the title fit the music, and I mean, I, I guess it does. Uh, but I will say that if you do read "My Life in the Bush of Ghosts." It is very different than what you would expect after listening to this album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to name... It's a very good book, though. I highly recommend it. If you're going to name an album that. after... I mean, like, how how long is the book? If you're going to name your album after, you can't you can't take, like, a day to just bang it out and read it. it it's a pretty short book, too. Um, I mean, I, I have um, an edition that it combines uh, the Palm Wine Drinkard and uh, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, and it turns out to be, I think it's like maybe 300 pages, maybe. I don't even think that. It could be like 200. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I just found it to be just an interesting little factoid. Um, that, that is interesting because like, usually there's, there's always some story where like, oh, yeah. I was really into this book and then it inspired me. But they were like, oh, no, cool name. <laughs> I, I think they read it afterwards, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. In any case, um, if you haven't listened to this album, go listen to it. Uh, it's very good. And like like you said, it bridges kind of a lot of gaps between these two artists while at the same time creating something entirely new. Like, I mean, the closest parallel is is probably Remaining Light just in terms of like you're using you know, sort of the use of samples. But like, you know, it, it still feels like it, its own thing. Like, you know, uh, and also, uh, this is going to be a weird little thing, but I I always feel like this is the album that the King of Limbs tried to be, in a way. Oh, interesting. That's an interesting take. 
Uh, well, just because, you know, I looking va- like a little bit into the making of that album, it was, you know, heavily based on like looping and sampling. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Radiohead literally is they named themselves after a talking head song. So like, no doubt they were aware of this album. Um, and I just feel like this is, you, you know, like I, I feel like Tom York had to be listening to like this a little bit while making that album. But anyway, um, that is uh, our timer just went up. So uh, on to the next one. <laughs> yes. And it's your turn to do a fun segue. <laughs> I, well, I, I, so I actually just thought of one is that, you know, to move on, uh, to move on fast would be to, to rush, if you will. Uh, uh, yeah. I know, love I know. Love I, I hate myself so much. I, I love you, so that's uh. really funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're talking about um, Moving Pictures by Rush, which is, I mean, I, I it's probably their best known, probably most well regarded album. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think that's their their most. Yeah, I think pretty much all around their their most well known song. Yeah, uh, I mean. I they, mean Tom Sawyer, like, is the Rush song. Yeah, I was like, going to say, like, I, I can't even, I, I mean, I could think of some close seconds, but it's really hard to argue that's not their, their most well-known song. Um, and and it, it's it's such a, God, it, it's just such a good album. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've listened to, uh, this was during my, like, deathcore days. I, I still just loved, I mean, I've, a million times when we talked about Rush, uh, I've talked about my dad had that Rush in Rio. It was a live album. Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded in you know Brazil and <laughs> Russian Rio recorded in, in Sweden. Uh, yeah, can't, can't, can't put my finger on it. I don't know where it was recorded. Um, yeah, but yeah, like obviously that was career spanning. But just I would watch you know different clips. My favorite was there's an extended drum solo that um, that that Neil, Neil Perp would you know have that was awesome. But is it the one where like where where the the drum spins around him? Yeah, and like he, he has yeah. he has like like the the, the the every every possible percussive instrument known to man on like one, yeah. one drum kit. Um, but I just I, I feel like I feel like moving pictures is one of those. Um, oh God, this might be controversial. I mean, I think it's one of those records I, that is both. I, I, I've got a more controversial take, but but keep going. I was gonna say I feel like it's one of, it's one of those albums in a band's career that is both. It's it's their most popular and also like their best and most critically, you know. I mean, but the thing is, you could say twenty one twelve, but I just I think moving pictures is more complete. I like the fact that it, you know, it, it doesn't. You know, the fact that twenty one twelve revolves around that one really long track for the most part. Yeah, but um, the B side of twenty one twelve is pretty good. Yes. But like, no, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like twenty one twelve is kind of like the Rush album you listen to after you realize you love moving pictures. Almost. Yeah, like, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But uh, I have a hot take for you. All right, I'm ready. I think Tom Sawyer is the worst song on this album. So, Ooh. yeah. Uh, and, and do I, I actually I actually really love the song. Um, I'm just, I, like, I think it's very easy to just be like, oh, yeah, that Tom Sawyer song, you know? Like, Definitely, you know, you know, I could agree it's 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 overrated in the grid like it definitely yeah i can see where i can see where well, you're coming I, from i guess uh, uh, maybe i didn't phrase it right uh what i'm trying to say is that every track and i mean every track on this thing is basically perfect yeah like it's I, oh. like red like red barchetta it's 
possibly my favorite Rush song, honestly. And like, it's just a song about a fucking car. Yeah. <laughs> like, like who who would think that like songs about cars would turn out to be so good? But I mean, look at Red Barchetta, uh, Thunder Kiss '65. Um, what what's that other white white zombie song about a car? They're all about cars. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of it actually now. The the, the one with Iggy Pop in it. <laughs> um... What I what was it? No, I. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually going to look it up. <laughs> but all, all this to say is that I like there are some really great songs that aren't Tom Sawyer on this that I feel like might be ignored. I think you know some of them like like Limelight is still pretty popular. YYZ or YYZ if you're Canadian uh, is pretty popular too. But like second half is really great too. Camera Eye you know for a longer song really does a great job. Witch Hunt is really great. Vital Signs is an awesome way to end a track. Uh, you know, I, I, I just think this is, like, such a great album. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's excellent front to back. Um, I get where you're coming from. I mean, I still think Tom Sawyer is a great song, but I, I feel like... It, yeah, it, I, I'm, it, I'm with you. I, I, I mean, I, I love that riff, so... But I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with your thoughts on A Love Supreme. Oh, it, but, but by the way, sorry, uh, the, that White Zombie song is Black Sunshine. So. Oh, yeah, that's a great song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I feel this like, is Black Sunshine. I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with your thoughts on Love Supreme. Is that It's not a bad album, but it just, it kind of, people... Because... Um, a lot of times we, re- we have to remind ourselves, each other, that other people don't listen to music the same way we do. So, yeah. you know, they just, oh, like, oh, yeah, Rush, I love that Tom Sawyer song. Or, or like, yeah, man, I love, you know, like, people kind of um, don't dive in as deep as, you know, um, yeah, as, as, we would. as we would. But, like, you're totally right that um, if Tom Sawyer wasn't on this album, it would still be arguably one of their one of their best uh i mean i still think it has an extra punch i mean certainly um it it helped attract quite a bit of attention you know yeah um you know i, I mean I, I, I don't it, really... it definitely like put them in the spotlight in a big way uh um, even though i mean put them in the limelight <laughs> well i mean living in the limelight is the universal dream for, <laughs> for those who wish to see you know uh, <laughs> that's where we're we're terrible but that's okay I, I, I don't give a shit because, like, mm-hmm. I, I like every time I listen to a Rush album, I'm just reminded of how much I love this band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I bought so, so many of their, um, so many of their albums after, unfortunately, Neil Peart passed away. Uh, it's, you know, it, I always say that I, I try to knock, knock off stuff on my lazy list as, as, you know, as often as I can. Not exactly the happiest excuse to do that, but I'm really glad that I, I chose to did, because they have so many. Did, did you ever get moving pictures in twenty one twelve though? Yeah, I. Um, okay. Oh, damn it! It's R is like down. Like I'm looking at my my CDs and it's at an angle where I can't easily see them. But I, I bought a, a ton of them. Like I I think that I cleaned out Bull Moose when we went. Um, but, oh, so you're the fucker. Like, did did you happen to get a copy of Power Windows by any chance? I don't, I don't think so. It, it, it's, it's the it's the album cover with the guy. Uh, he's like in a chair in like an empty room. Because uh, like that's one of those albums that like I look for every time I go to a CD store because I think like I just want that album so badly. 
because it's just like another one of those like synth heavy rush albums and it's kind of like before things got like kind of took a turn for the worst sometimes because like roll the bones you know test for echo like those albums which are like not the most well-regarded rush albums yeah um but i mean nonetheless awesome band awesome album um i i it, it, I, I, it kind of sucks that people, some people really don't like Rush, and I think it's because of because of the vocals, and like I totally get that, but like I almost wish that they they could like kind of, kind of look past that very slightly because I think there's a lot on offer here, uh, when when you can get past those vocals. So, uh, in in all honesty, I I, I think Geddy Lee's a really good singer. So yeah, I, that's a, I mean. I, I thought it was mainly just because they're you know kind of not not kind of nerdy. They're they're pretty nerdy bands. Oh yeah, they're, the, they're considered the, the big big nerds. Yeah, but like I, I yeah I don't get that at all. I I like his vocals. I, certainly, I don't think they're they're terrible. I mean, we're, yeah. we're not we're not talking about the body or anything like that. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> are we going to spend our last two and a half minutes uh, talking about the body now? No, we, we don't have to. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want to vomit, so we'll stop there. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. I, no, I, I know. Yeah, that, was, that was a little hard. Claws out. <laughs> I know. But, um, yeah, like, I, I just, in tandem with, with having, you know, that Russian Rio documentary, my dad also had uh, Chronicles, which, as you can imagine, chronicled um, their greatest hits. And, and I, I always came back to... The songs on like like even you know Red Barchetta, Limelight, YYZ, um, obviously Tom Sawyer. Like there's just there's something about how they all are incredible musicians in their own right, and then they come mm-hmm. together to produce something that um, kind of like we've talked about with a number of these albums is that they're catchy and engaging, enthralling. Um, but at the end of the day, they're just fun to listen to. Like, there's so much to unpack. There's there's so many intricacies. Obviously, some great technical playing. But you don't have to you don't have to worry about any of that. Like, I feel like sometimes mm. with, with Prague, you know, some bands are so worried about how dense and technical, and, and they kind of leave songwriting. You, you can you can get lost in the wankery pretty fast. Yeah, and I feel like Rush really never does that. Like they they write excellent songs that just also happen to have some amazing instrumentation um mm. and yeah it's just it's always super super fun when i i put on put on a rush album after a while and, yeah. and certainly i enjoy doing so for this episode yeah all right well i guess we can talk about our next album uh which i'm not even gonna try to make a um try to set like a segue uh, because I, I feel like our listeners already have to deal with enough um, <laughs> on a regular basis. But so uh, we're talking about Donuts by Jay Dilla, um, which was, you know, his, I guess, yeah, second studio album and then, you know, his last album while he was alive. Yeah, um, it, it was very close to being posthumous. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was like, what, three days before? Yeah, it was released on his birthday, three, you know, three days before, which is, that's kind of, it's really sad. I, I forget what he, I forget what he passed away because of. Well, I don't know. It was I released February seventh, two thousand six. So February tenth, two thousand six. And I, real quick, he. Yeah. I forget what he passed away from. It, it was a uh, blood disease yes. as well as I think lupus. Um, yeah. Pretty, yeah. Pretty rough 
like you know last few years you gotta say um you know but you, you gotta admire the work ethic here that he would just like keep he would just keep at it like you know he'd go to dialysis and then he would just keep fucking working at it uh and you know just like May, he would just have his mom like bring crates of records into the hospital yeah, <laughs> and I shit mean, like that. that. That's kind of like we mentioned earlier is is some of the photos of him. There's one specifically on um, uh, is that on, on Wikipedia? Yeah, on Wikipedia, where like it's just it's him. Yeah, just pull it up now. He's sitting in a drum set, and in the background, you just see like these. Um, it it kind of looks like my actual vinyl shelf, but of course, you know that <laughs> he has all those to potentially. Like just just the just idea from. of like how you're able to sift through and I know, you know like people like Madlib do the same thing, but to sift through and find the samples that he ultimately used for you know this album you know this album and the other beats that he produced, I, it yeah. just, that, that blows my mind. I mean, it kind of oh, yeah. kind of reminds you like especially just just like sort of the esoteric pulls from those records mm-hmm. too. Just like because um, I'm trying to I think it's the track oh. Mash, if I remember right. Yeah, it's uh, samples like a Zappa song. Or like specifically the vocals from the song, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. No, it's it, it, you. You got to give the guy credit. Um, that being said, I have a real fucking bone to pick with this album. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, because, like, I actually think it's a good album. You know, all things considered, but man, it is one of the most overrated like hip hop albums ever in my yeah. opinion like yeah. people have rode this thing to hell and i like i you almost have to wonder whether it's like kind of like guilt based almost because they they, they feel bad that he passed away oh, you know, oh so, so close to it absolutely but, i mean i i love this album there are so many great beats on this uh um only two comes to mind you know donuts of the heart <laughs> like like there's like only yeah. one can win like there's there's so many great fun uh fun beats across this it, it's one of my favorite instrumental hip-hop albums and uh it's really hard for instrumental hip-hop to be super memorable a lot of times it, they, yeah. they just kind of feel like you're waiting for the rhymes to come in and they never do but i feel like these but, stand alone but pretty damn, well dude like, like like people really like people really like bump this thing up and it really doesn't it i don't think it deserves it Frankly. Oh, absolutely! Like, I I love this album, and, and yeah. even I have a hard time. I mean, it, it totally is because you know we we just have this thing in you know what I think it is, and I'm kind of formulating this on the spot, but it's something I've thought about before. Is it, it, it's kind of what happens? Like I just mentioned with Rush, it's like after Neil Peart died, I just dove into Rush's discography. Maybe it was after I, after Dylan. I, I think that was part of it. Um, I actually looked into this a little bit uh, on Reddit, and there were some people who were saying that, like, you know, I, I think right around this time, right around the time of his death, not necessarily after it, but just kind of around it, uh, Dilla was starting to get, you know, a lot of popularity from, like, I think, you know, what would eventually become kind of like that pitchfork crowd mm. of people. Um, and I think as a result... I think they're they just kind of like glommed onto this album, uh, where in they, they were like like a lot of in a lot of people on Reddit were like, you know this like like this isn't his best album and like you know the like someone described it this is like this is the work of a master in the twilight of his career, and it's like yeah yeah kind of <laughs> yeah because it's like 
but it's just it's just really strange how like people just adore this thing like i i just don't see it um you know not not to say it it isn't like it doesn't deserve any love it's just like you know i i, I think part of it for me is like I find it difficult to find instrumental hip hop that isn't boring because I, I, it can very easily just turn into, you know, kind of just the same thing for an hour. Uh, like that, that's kind of the reason that like, like um, the producers from uh, Doomtree, like the Doomtree collective, I, I don't like, I'm not a huge fan of what, of their solo stuff just because of that. Because uh, they, they tend to just kind of, it, it feels a little repetitive without any sort of vocals added onto it. Um, but, I mean, thankfully, like, he does a great job of, of you know, sort of not making it, you know, too uh, unwieldy. Like, you know, every track is under two minutes, I think. You know, uh, working on it is 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 the longest track at almost three minutes. But everything else is, is under two. Um, so, you know give him credit you know definitely like still good album but like i mean i i i've i've heard that his production like you know he got to this place by doing some stellar production you know oh like, yeah absolutely like so. one of um one of my favorite or my favorite beat he ever produced uh, i actually found out about it through bad bad not good they covered it it's uh uh fallen in love uh it, it's just it's a really really great um great instrumental um but i i think i think it really has to do with the fact that you know people kind of get caught up in in the you know kind of the retrospective of his career and it helped bolster uh i mean certainly you talk about extending a news cycle you know the fact that you know it was, it was talking about the fact that it was released and then he passed away you know three days around it uh, i mean mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to not it's really hard to ignore the fact that how much that you know had to contribute something to it uh i really do love this album uh i will say that it's it's not an everyday or it's not every you know there are some albums i could put on pretty much any you know whatever mood i'm in uh but i I say in the grand scheme of things i probably would prefer something or someone like fly low like i feel like fly low does a little Mm. bit better job of taking the idea of instrumental hip-hop and expanding it kind of approaching it like an electronic producer where like you could see someone rapping over it potentially, but they kind of live as their own, um, yeah. their own entities. Where I think Donuts does that to an extent. Uh, I think that the beats can live on their own. I feel like they I, remain engaging, but they are they definitely sound like short hip hop snippets that no one. I I think that's that that's kind of like its greatest strength and its biggest weakness. Yeah, in a way. Um, but I also, I, I think, like, because this is, I mean, maybe this is just Wikipedia, but Wikipedia describes this as an experimental hip-hop album. This that's, is not. That's just wrong, like, wrong. That's I, the, and, and I think maybe when, like, because I, I think people think of, you know, Jay Dilla as kind of, like, forward-thinking, which I think maybe at one time he was. But, like, you know, I mean, when it comes to, like, I, I just think that the arguments surrounding that are can be a little uh, specious, like, at best. Because, like, you know, basically what what, what defines experimental hip-hop production? Like, Not it, this. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I think in a lot of ways it's, like, weird sampling. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, uh, De La Soul has been doing that since the 80s. 
<laughs> I mean, fuck. You know, and the Bomb Squad's been doing that since the 80s. I mean, fuck. De La Soul flipped a steely dance song and made an entire yes, beat around exactly. it like i, I think and, that's experimental taking like and, like and, and even before even before this album i mean mad villainy is just you know an, an easy easy you know album to point to in terms of like weird sampling you know and it's not even like you know dilla definitely pulls from some esoteric places like like i mentioned that frank zappa sample but like you know there's no part of it that you're like oh this is like very unhip hop in a way like it all has like that kind of like crate digger you know soul feel to it mm -hmm. so like and not to say that that's a bad sound it's just like i just don't think of that as groundbreaking or experimental at all so yeah that's all the, the, sometimes people say stuff like that i don't i don't know I mean, I wonder if it's just more an unfamiliarity with the genre. I find that hard to believe considering how popular hip-hop is. Uh, I find yeah. that a lot with metal. When people say something's experimental or avant-garde, I'm like, is it, though? Is it? Yeah. No, I'm... I It's... That's why... I, it, I, it's a topic worth exploring yeah. at, at another point. I mean, that's why I always try to... Um, I always try to differentiate from, like, dis dissonant. Like, I feel like that's kind of becoming yeah. something like dissonant black metal or death metal, where... It's not really avant-garde, it's just, it's kind of like just mathy, progressive, you know, kind of zany riffing, but like, for... for well, for... even dissonant is just like a description, I don't know, it, it just doesn't always do the job. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. genres, genres are, are weird. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that it, it's, it's impossible to for this to happen but it would be interesting to listen to this in a vacuum just kind of with the, without the context of mm. it was it was kind of essentially a posthumous release you know more or less um and you know not not kind of having the mystique around it because i think it is a truly good album it's just that it like you said kind of owes a little bit of its legacy to the circumstances of its release which is unfortunate yeah. and obviously it's no one it's just that, that's what happened you know it's just someone's yeah it's, it's, it's not like one yeah. person was like i'm gonna take advantage of this mm. it's it's more of like kind of like a collective uh decision almost yeah and, like, and like an unconscious thing but exactly um, our, our timer's up so we're gonna move on to our final album today and um this might actually be my favorite out of all of these no oh, maybe moving pictures might be more but um talking about tim hecker uh rave death 1972 um and it is kind of like in my opinion i think it's the album that kind of put him on you know kind of on on the in the mainstream in like a big way or at least you know when it comes to you know pitchfork core if you will I think, and kind yeah, of like i, I think Har uh, harmony and ultraviolet helped too but certainly yeah. yeah i think rave death really you know like, i guess the, I, and i think part of that has to do with the album cover by the way but <laughs> for rave death yeah oh interesting well, why do you say that i i just found i just find it to be such a um like an iconic album cover because it's just like it is really like, cool yeah yeah exactly it's and you know usually in ambient music you think oh you know having like some sort of like abstract colors or etc or maybe some weird image as it and like it's like no this is like pretty like down to earth when it comes to like the actual like design of it and then you hear the music and it just kind of blows like a hole in the back of your head <laughs> yeah interesting that um 
I actually really got into them with Virgins, uh, kind of for the same reason. I remember uh, Fantana reviewed it. Was that his album of the year that year? It was. Yep, it was. Yeah, um, and it just, I, the concept of ambient music was a little bit new to me. Obviously, I just discovered this dis- the, disintegration loop. This album actually was the first ambient, one of the first ambient albums I ever listened to. Uh, I think Virgins was was the album that um, it it kind of it pushed me from being fascinated by ambient to really enjoying it. Uh, what I think mm-hmm. Rave Death has over um, has over Virgins. So I think Virgins saw him kind of going in some different, almost glitchy, some exploring different parts of his electronic music. Uh, I mm-hmm. think Rave Death pr- perfected some of the some of the ambient textures he explored earlier in his career you know specifically with harmony and ultraviolet and it just it's probably his best ambient statement just like pure when you think of ambient music just what he accomplished on rave death um is- that's that that's the interesting part of this though is that like there are a lot of sections on this that use a lot of unambient like ideas sure in a way yeah um, like, you know, and something that's always fascinated me, even outside of this album, just what's fascinating with me with Tim Hecker's uh, work so far is has been just the way he's used noise in his compositions mm. and sort of how he stands as like an ambient artist, you know, and kind of like as a composer. But yeah, I was thinking about this today is like he like. It almost feels like he belongs to every school, if you will, of ambient music, and yet none of them at the same time. Mm, uh, that's a great because, way to like, it. you, yeah, like you know, because I, I feel like there are certain things that you could probably hear from like Brian Eno doing like his ambient series, almost like specifically like Plateau of Mirrors, like a lot of the piano work in here in Rave Death is like kind of you know has like the Harold Bud kind of mood to it at some points um but then also like i I think that there are other parts that you know almost seem like that they pull from like a tangerine dream almost like like progressive electronic type of place at some points you know like i'm thinking like pipe organ things like that uh but then at the same time sort of the way he approaches these tracks as like short form songs is just like 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 completely his own thing and I love it like I I just I I love how singular of an artist he is that just like you know even ambient doesn't do a great job of describing what he does yeah and I think what you know I talked about making that jump from um you know from being fascinated by ambient to really you know enjoying it as, as a genre and considering myself a fan uh it helped that Hecker explored the genre with maybe not like bite-sized that's probably not the right word but i feel like just palatable like it was it was fascinating to me to listen to a genre that at to that point i that really experienced it as these long you know extended compositions that you could kind of compose um these song length ambient explorations but at the same time have like the same kind of impact obviously you're not going to get you know the exact same feel of listening to an hour-long Basinski track, but yeah. you still got the really enthralling, um, intense, you know, the you know, full-screen view with what Hecker was trying trying to do. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it is super interesting. Just sort of 
you know, I, and I, I, I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, for me, like, like I've, I've always noticed sort of, like, this semi-recent, by which I mean, like, last decade or so, trend of um, sort of more classically trained composers um, sort of taking more ambient directions in their music and sort of taking more influence from ambient music. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where, like, this... I don't really know how to even place Tim Hecker within that because, like, on some level, it feels like he's the inverse of that, that he's almost like an ambient artist that's sort of taking from classical music in a way. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel like he's doing none of that. Like, I feel like he's he's kind of like his own creature. Like, you know, I, he's really just marching to the rhythm of his own drum and you know sometimes that doesn't always work out for the best like his his last two studio albums haven't been you know my favorite but you know you got to admire the um sort of the experimentation that he's putting in into every one of his albums um yeah yeah (laughs) and it's so it's so interesting you you say that because he you know, for several of his albums, he recorded with, um, like, when for Love Streams, he uh, ruminated on, like, the liturgical aspect of Yeezus. Or, like, something, like, he had some, like, awful quote about how yeah. he was inspired by Yeezus to make the, which, which it didn't even really shine through. Like, it both made him sound pretentious and wasn't even accurate. But anyway. I, you know, I, I was actually reading a couple of these quotes, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Rave Death, and I feel like it isn't even his fault almost that he's making these statements like i feel like he's one of those artists who like says his statements best through his music and like to try to you know describe his music in words is 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 just not going to work yeah. almost so he just kind of like garble or like he just says nonsense or garble yeah I, I yeah but but, but i feel like it's well intentioned like i feel like it isn't like oh yeah yes i you know i'm tim hecker you know <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. i i feel like he's genuinely trying to explain what's going on in his mind with this but i feel like it, it it's almost not going to connect because he's just so he he's just such a great you know musician. So. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating. We talk about you know things going in, in cycles that you know he's talked about openly recording um, like with with class, classical musicians specifically. You know, does a lot of stuff with organ on love streams. He recorded with a choir um, and things going in cycles. Where now a lot of modern classical you hear really does lean on ambient you know elements of ambient music. And you know same thing with hip hop. You hear a lot of modern jazz has a lot of really hip hop esque you know. Beats, uh, or, yeah. or just you know, incorporates elements that you you hear from from hip hop in, in their music. Uh, it's just it's it's like that great tribe called Quest quote. Um, you know, say, say I, to Daddy. Fun, I, I was thinking of that exact quote as you were talking. I, I, about I still this. think that you know it's funny because I, I I think Loy and Theory is actually my least favorite tribe called Quest album, which might be a hot take, but uh, that opening um, that opening. Is, verse is just is probably my favorite hip-hop it's just it's such a such a great um such a great track but yeah i mean i I just i I love um i love how he leverages elements of classical music but still you know makes it i I mean his maybe it's just the pressing i have but i have harmony and ultraviolet on vinyl and that just sounds so good you know electronic music on vinyl is is a little bit 
hit or miss, but um, you know, to, to turn to Rave Death, I really do think this is you know, with Virgins, I think he went in a little bit of a different direction. Um, mm-hmm. He started just showing the experiment, and, and I agree with you that uh, I liked Love Streams more than you did, but I, I did think it started to stray away from what I liked about... Oh, I, I, I was fine with Love Streams. I think the one that came after that uh, was a little... I don't know. I wasn't as hot on it. Um, Cornoyo. And I, um, I think he might have even released another album that I just... He did, but I, I think it's more of like a companion um, album to Kanoyo because it's called Enoyo. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because I think... Yeah, I think... And it was recorded at the same time. Oh, uh, well. yeah. Yep. So I, I think of it more as a companion piece, but, I mean, it seems to be considered, like, a separate album. Uh, which oh. I actually haven't listened to it, um, in all fairness, but the, 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 uh, this this may not be fair. I mean, it kind of lends it to what you uh, um, lends it to what you were saying. Is I think his most his two more, most recent albums. One of the reasons I couldn't, I wasn't as in, inspired to listen to them as I think both covers are pretty bad, and he he <laughs> kind of has a history of having really interesting covers. I mean, I mean, like I said, like Virgins really drew drew me in with. A really intriguing photograph um and you're totally right that rave death also has a really fascinating um fascinating i mean cover. love streams does too um yeah i, I, like I would love say streams, I, yeah i anoyo the one with like the cube to earth i think is kind of cool but yeah the kanoyo is is something um I, I, i'm not a big um empty or i guess I, I would say wasted space person like i guess it to me it's a depends on how is this you're not a big fan of negative space or negative space yeah thank you yeah. Uh, my my <laughs> my art background is really shining through um don't don't worry i'm making up for it <laughs> yeah um and I, yeah i just that doesn't vibe well with me um but yeah. thankfully rave death really is the the full the full package and i, I think that um yeah. i don't really think you can go wrong with i mean i haven't listened to a bad hecker album and i feel like I don't think it's inaccessible. I mean, you kind of have to be, you know, kind of on board with what ambient music has to offer. But I, I think that yeah, it's, I, it's pretty I, I mean, enthralling. I, I think R- Rave Death is the best place to go, honestly. Because, like, Virgins, I think, is the probably the better album. But Virgins has, like, a, a little more, like, it, it feels a little colder. And I don't know necessarily if, if people want to listen to ambient music to feel colder and to feel more alone, in a way. <laughs> it's always it's it's interesting because I I love um, I think it's called the dissolve that that uh, William Basinski piece that to me that that just felt like like kind of freezing in the snow but like a snowstorm but feeling okay, like content with it like it, it, it's amazing how ambient music kind of re- it requires you to fill in the gap like you have to like paint between the lines and like you know kind of ascribe meaning to it It, it, it's such an interesting genre it really is it really is i i'm always fascinated by it like it's probably the genre that i'm most interested in like i like at this moment in time um but so i our our timer went off like a little while ago so um do you have any final thoughts on uh rave death no, I just just kind of uh, really really appreciate the variety in in this uh, this crop of classics. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of funny how it just kind of turned out. 
we, 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 we like our variety. Um, and speaking of, there we go. There's your segue. Uh, let's talk about albums of the week. So, Scoots, what you got for me? Yeah, I... This person may or may not have uh, had a really big concert appearance, and I decided after this appearance to just buy their <laughs> buy the other albums of theirs that I didn't have, and I've been listening to them sequentially. Uh, one of the albums uh, I know we've talked about potentially talking about at one point, and I became even more interested in doing that at some point because I have thoughts about it. Um, but there's um, an album of theirs that was really pivotal in their career that I just could not stop listening to, and that is Beauty Behind the Madness uh, yes. by The Weeknd. Uh, yes. Obviously, the singles on that, like, like The Hills and uh, uh, Can't I Feel, my, can't feel face. my Face. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite music-related stories ever, or memories with my mom, is that multiple times when that was popular on the radio, she kept saying that it was a dumb song because she didn't even know what he meant and like didn't know what it means. And I was like, Mom, it's about doing cocaine. She's like, oh, well, now I like it even less. And I was like, okay. Um, and now I like it even more, Mom, so take that. Have you ever, have you ever seen that meme where it's like him having a slug look on his face? He's like, when you get you, when you win a Kid's Choice Award for a song about doing cocaine. He did, I think he won a Nickelodeon Kid's Choice Award for that song. Um, but yeah. what, what I love about this album is there's a lot of variety, and the songs that, like the non-singles, were also great. Like, it, it was a really... You know, a lot of times with pop albums, uh, especially nowadays, um, I think, which one was it? It was one of the more recent Ariana Grande albums. We went to... Uh, Asking the wrong person, yeah, Scott. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. One of the more recent ones, uh, Lauren and I went to uh, the Walmart in Bedford, which was closing, and they were doing like a 75% off sale. It was like a ghost town. Um, it was really creepy. And so we bought like an Ariana Grande CD for like $2 or whatever. It was, it was weird, like brand new. And that one, like the singles are great, but the deep cuts were really, really lacking. And what mm -hmm. I love about Beauty Behind the Madness is it's, it's a genuinely good album. Like obviously the singles are there, the songs that you, you know, you've heard on the radio a million times, but it, it actually works as a, as a complete piece of music, which is not something you yeah. can say about pop music. And when you listen through the trajectory of his career, this was such an amazing leap into, you know, the mainstream. Like, there's just, like, he really went for it. He really mm. went for just becoming a pop star, making, um, you know, kind of making his, his debut on the grand stage after, you know, kind of... Uh, he, he's, a, he's a motherfucking star boy, dude. He really is. <laughs> and just, like, he, he just totally bet on himself and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to ditch the, um, like, quasi, like, dark wave kind of stuff and just make something that's that's... Uh, really poppy and, and or like uh, that's you know more in, in the pop music vein and it paid off like he just yeah. he turned out to be really goddamn really goddamn good at it so yeah I'm, it's it, i i love beauty behind the madness like before uh after hours came out it was my favorite weekend album and actually the year that beauty behind the madness came out which was i want to say 2015 that was my favorite album of the year um like by a large margin uh I adore that album. Like often is is like probably my favorite track off of that. Yeah, that's uh, just I, I love that beat, um, and just it's so it it's so rank. Like it's just like you know it's it, it's it's a, the, the lyrics are gross. Yeah, and it's great. I love it. Um, but like 
this is going to be weird, but like I actually even like the Ed Sheeran song that's on this thing. That um, worked way more than it had any business working. Yeah, <laughs> like it. it I because funny because I had this album on like maybe like two weeks ago, and when that song came on, and I think it's uh, Dark Times if I remember right, and uh, <laughs> the entire structure of that song is literally just. I'm assuming Ed Sheeran just strumming one single chord and then strumming another single chord. And, like, it should not work by all logic, and yet it fucking does, dude. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, just such a great album. Yeah. Yeah. E- even though I will say, like, uh, I think In the Night, like, I that's one of those songs that, like, I just cannot listen to that much anymore. Like... I think I've said this before on this podcast that uh, I've actually gone to the mall on like at least five separate occasions, and every time I've gone in there, in the night plays. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, this is this is hardly the best song off of this album. So why are you playing this? <laughs> uh, I will say that listening to it in the context of the rest of the album, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. But it's still, uh, I'm a little tired of it. And, and that's saying as someone who's you know. I was walking around Manhattan and like every radio was playing Can't Feel My Face yeah, at that time. Yes. So <laughs> that, 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 that's interesting because, uh, I mean, obviously, it, probably when it first came out, um, this wasn't the case. But I, I think uh, Baby Be Mine off of Thriller, like that's my favorite song mm. on that album by a long shot. And it's like I never hear it on the radio. Yeah, or, or, or The Girl Is Mine. Oh, actually, I, I don't really like that song, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually, I, I, I like that song a lot. I think it's just so stupid, kind oh. of. Well, Especially the end where, like, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney are kind of, like, joking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think part of it is that um, my mom, my mom really doesn't like Paul McCartney. Um, so, like, I just, like, I think she ingrained some of that in me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I still have a hard time picking them apart on Beatles records. Um, like I oh really yeah like one, one of, I, I I find it really easy yeah I, I've listened to the Beatles my entire yeah life. well I think that's it because like my friend Alexander who's a huge Beatles fan like he he would just you know I'll be able to pick out every single one uh, I'm getting there I'm getting there yeah. I'm I'm listening more and All more right. as the years go on um, so we're almost at an hour and twenty minutes so yeah anyway weekend video behind the madness uh, do cocaine yeah. go ahead great great album yeah d- 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 stay off of drugs kids. <laughs> Oh, I said do cocaine. Yeah, don't do cocaine. <laughs> Drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to get cocaine. Like, I'm an adult, and I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, feel like, I, feel like I, I mean, I, I feel like you, you run in circles that um, probably wouldn't have access to that. But anyway. Yeah, um, I'll say, if, I one, think... real quick, if one of my friends is like, hey, do you want to do cocaine? I'm like, where'd you even get that? Like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Note, note to self: Do not bring drugs over Scott's house. Yeah, I just, um, I mean, I mean, you could, you could do it, but I'd be like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, this, like, this, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. This, this, yeah. this is about as um, off topic as you can get. So, anyway, yeah, what's your okay, album so of the week? My album of the week is similarly. Uh, I, I guess it's a pop album, but I, I, it's probably more. I don't know. It's probably not as much of one as the weekend uh, is or weekends albums are but anyway i had this on the other day it is one of my favorite albums of all time and it is the debut album from florence and the machine uh lungs nice um i i, I guess we're going kind of normie this week uh for <laughs> albums of the week but I, I don't give a fuck because i love that i love lungs so much like 
putting it on the other day just like really made my day better in just a very very real way it just like that's it, another album that's just like every track on it is is just glorious and it just all comes together really well um I mean, you can bet your ass that I, I was singing on, like to every single track on that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I still I I just love that album so much. Like top ten for sure, probably even top five. Wow! Like just fucking adore that album. Like, I I I think the only album I've probably listened to more than that is The Queen Is Dead. So. <laughs> Um, that's, uh... and th- that's mostly because I would have days where I would just put that on every day. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, th- th- that makes to be the next, uh, um, the, the, my next, just pick all the albums that they have. Like I really, Dude, really enjoyed you, you, you will not, you will not go wrong there. Yeah. I, I think they're all really good. Like really good. I, I I'm really hoping she does something this year because I, I would love to see where she's going next. I really liked her last album a lot, so yeah, yeah I, I think was, I, you know, I think I need to finally pull the trigger and and just buy a lot of her, you know, her older stuff or her. I mean, stuff you general. you have my guarantee that it that they'll all be really good. So yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, well, I we 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 can hear Scott's little doggy. Yeah. So I guess it's time for us to go. Lauren just got so, home. She's... Thanks for listening, and <laughs> we'll be back next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod- Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, we are on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.